Welcome to BSD Talk, number 29. It's Thursday, March 30, 2006. I just have an interview today, so I'm going to cut right to it. Today on BSD Talk, we're speaking with Lynn and William Jolitz, and I'd like to give you an opportunity to introduce yourselves and uh, maybe talk a little bit about um, how you started in BSD and in particular, the 386 BSD project. Well, William um, and I started off uh, doing a little project for the University of California at Berkeley. Both he and I are Berkeley alumni, and William was very much involved in BSD through um, 2.8 and uh, 2.9 BSD and involved in distributions. I was on the physics side, actually, and... Uh, when uh, the University of California started uh, running to a point where they didn't have anything to distribute, they asked William to do something for them, do a port. And very, very few people have that experience. We did it out of national and sold workstations through that. And that's where it came from. Yes, and uh, I am William Jolitz, and uh, I got involved um, with Unix back at um, NASA Ames Research Center actually um, by accident. The accident was I uh, needed to get a speech program from uh, a, uh, one of the, the people involved with Unix. And he said, well, it's just it's Doug McElroy, and it's just uh, $20,000. I go, what? It's you in the government. You can do this. Sure. But why? Well, it comes with this little thing called Unix on the side to recompile it. You probably have no use for it uh, but uh, it's it's there, and it turned out that NASA had an incredible use for for uh, Unix. Shortly thereafter, I was at the University of California, and uh, watching uh, uh, BSD be created on the ADM3 terminal right next to me uh, by uh, Bill Joy and Chuck Haley, and the name actually being wrestled out of what to call it was quite fun. Um, that was on an 1170, and uh, it wasn't called... Uh, the kernel, at least, and BSD was just uh, VI and email and a few other things that Kurt Schoens had also thrown in. And uh, our first release of um, BSD uh, was Beat uh, 3 BSD, uh, which Bill Joy went to start working on on the VAX. And uh, uh, we uh, were working on a PDP-1140 at the time, trying to throw together all of the changes that Bob Cradle and company had made. I introduced um, people like Mike Carls into Unix at that point in time, uh, and uh, that was the 2.8, 2.9 release of, of uh, BSD on a PDP-11. And recently you've um, published some of the papers that were written during that time. I didn't know if you could discuss that project a little bit. Uh, the magazine almost had a heart attack when um, the first article went out, and their page count um, was like 20% over what it was supposed to be. And that well, was... That was a struggle the whole time, is, is they had... And their, their, their feature um, 
size varied according to the number of ads. I've ever worked in the magazine business. It's not necessarily that it's always a 5,000-word piece. And so sometimes um, we would add more, but, but the vast majority of times we were cutting out, cut, taking out diagrams, taking out sidebars, um, taking out whole discussions of particular modules. So those, those ended up being removed for space considerations purely. So more ads for Intel could be put in. And uh, that's what uh, we've been restoring as well because it provides additional continuity. Well, what happened was, uh, as Lynn said, uh, a lot got left on the cutting room floor and in celebration of the uh, 15th anniversary uh, for that. We uh, went and uh, restored the missing portions the other thing we noticed is, since we run a lot of data centers, servers, and we monitor things, at least I do, um, there's been a growing interest in uh, the early roots of operating systems. And uh, references to various works had, over the last two years in particular, been strongly increasing, particularly in the Asian Basin, China, India, um, and the, uh, in, in Europe. France, Germany, and there I started getting more and more interest in this area. So we thought as the 15th anniversary approached that providing this information but being much more comprehensive the way we had envisioned the original project in terms of describing it would be uh, very, very valuable. Uh, so we began this project, worked on it for several months, and then we announced it. It's actually been in progress for a while. And where is this website? The website is porting-unix-2-the-386. Got a lot of hyphens in there. Dot jolix, J-O-L-I-X dot com. The name comes from uh, a uh, term that many people used for 386BSD. And is 386BSD uh, something that you can still get today and try on a computer? Yes, it is, actually. It doesn't run on many computers, and uh, we've actually been revising it quite a bit. Uh, most recently, our kids got interested in BSD once again and asked why there was so much trouble with uh, porting various applications on. They, by the way, run BSD on uh, their uh, systems. They've actually built their systems. Their mom had them uh, go uh, to Fry's buy parts and uh, assemble their own systems and, and go through the whole process of um, administering. So they're quite cognizant of all of these things. And we got asked, with, well, why is it this way that this thing works like this and that works like that? And so it seemed like a good thing to do was to have them um, experience the whole 386 BSD thing themselves. But with fresh eyes, with young eyes, one of the things that always frustrated me with many open source projects, to be frank, is that they don't seem to have an eye to customers, especially youth, who will use this system. And since I didn't come from the BSD group directly, I came out of the physics area of Berkeley. I was very much used to the tradition of questioning fundamentals and assumptions, because this is what physics is all about. And that's what I loved. 
and my children are doing the same thing, I'm gratified to see. And they have different interests. They, they have media interests. They have instant messaging interests. They have wireless interests. They want to be connected up. They do multitasking. And so they're very demanding in particular, in particular on how to use these systems. And their um, interest in, in working in media, for example, has been a driving force in adapting and changing and using a lot of the other work people have done, but integrating it in the 386BSD in an efficient, clean, and uh, maintainable manner so that we, for example, use them in our own data centers. We use them in, in media production and processing. And where does 386BSD fit in the whole family of BSDs today, such as FreeBSD, NetBSD, OpenBSD, and DragonflyBSD? What it uh, fits as is um, we were the progenitors of a lot of this uh, very early on. But we found that while we broke things wide open for people, they wanted, meaning the people involved with BSD, they wanted to go into a variety of different areas. And we couldn't keep up with all of these different uh, areas. The problem with starting something big is that everybody has a different interest, a different agenda and where to take things. Some of that's good and some of that's a little just hard to coordinate. And I think that explains away some of the frictions that have occurred in the past. Um, we think it's kind of just the growing pains that occur with any kind of a big thing. And so uh, rather than have um, a big uh, to-do about um, what the agenda was, we decided that uh, perhaps um, some parts of 386BSD were a little too um, much uh, at that point in time, so we allowed others like uh, FreeBSD to go on uh, and, uh, and, and grow. I'm gratified to see that security is taken as uh, uh, seriously as it is in OpenBSD. Uh, there's some interesting background on that in that some of the issues that uh, OpenBSD has gone into, I remember when I was um, part of the architectural um, uh, group involved with uh, plotting what uh, BSB should become um, back uh, in the 80s. And uh, in the rush to get sockets, for example, out the door, uh, there was some discussion about the security of the sockets that got swept to the end of the meeting and then dropped on the agenda. And a lot of those things are what uh, OpenBSD ended up uh, focusing on. Uh, FreeBSD uh, has um, grown phenomenally, and we're very pleased to see that as they took uh, our beginnings with 386BSD and uh, tried to serve an audience of people who were um, uh, strict um, Unix uh, uh, types um, who had all um, seen the version 6, version 7 stuff and uh, had that in their veins more than anything else. And uh, it's really interesting, too, because what we were trying to do with the article series to get growth uh, in Unix was we were trying to convert with 386BSD PC audience to work with BSD and not with um, some of the other alternatives like, you know, this is well before Windows. And when we uh, were um, 
had our second generation of this with uh, doing a CD-ROM on it. The focus is in trying to build something like a Windows 95 out of it for the general audience, not necessarily, again, serve um, the uh, Unix audience. So this kind of got lost along the way. The uh, point of, um, of all of the different uh, groups, they, they serve these different uh, audiences. The difficulty, though, in uh, being able to uh, have a good, healthy life off, off of this, which I think all of the BSDs have had challenges with, is in being able to listen to the audience really clearly and then deliver uh, on that. And uh, so we backed off with 386BSD, and, and I guess the best way of saying where does 386BSD sit right now, um, it sits as a heritage, and it sits as um, possibly... Uh, a, um, a way of, of, of uh, seeing some other ideas in how you can use operating systems. And we've done that internally uh, within uh, uh, small groups of people just for the purposes of understanding where operating systems will lead. We have not had very much of a call yet for doing anything beyond that. So I guess heritage is where 3D6 BSD what are you guys up to these days now that you've uh, perhaps moved on from the Berkeley days? Well, actually, we've been very, very busy. I've uh, been involved in leading technology efforts for over a decade, um, one in Internet semiconductors, data flow semiconductor design, and von Neumann, non-von Neumann engines and mechanisms. That, to my mind, is very, very important. I've had a lot of uh, great feedback and involvement. Uh, Gordon Bell was an early enthusiast of the work. I talked frequently with people at Cisco, at John Wakerley on the low power side, and Dr. Cerf was on our advisory board, on our, on our, excuse me, our board of directors of this company from the very beginning in terms of looking at how we could optimize transport protocols. Um, I've had a lot of discussions and a lot of debates with people um, like Jim Gray in terms of clustering over the last decade and done a lot of writing here, a lot of patents and work, and that's been one of my major interests. And in recent years, I've also worked with Berkeley um, and others in developing uh, convenient mechanisms for multimedia production and deployment such that we can pull stories in from people much more um, easily in a, using digital camera technology and and uh, automated production capabilities, and it's a very big project. Uh, I've written papers on that, and uh, that's, been, that's been fun. <laughs> that's just been fun because it's so fun to do interviews and be on site and do, do media work. But the whole purpose of that is to allow anyone to, to do a fully produced movie or, or newscast on the Internet without ever having to use software, without ever having to open up an editing program, it just becomes the kind of the ideal way of conveying your message in a mediagenic age. And uh, I have uh, been pulled in um, by a number of business interests over the years to try to form a bridge between where the technology sits in uh, the developer's mind uh, or their uh, interest in where to take things as well as uh, the product manager's view of how to sell or uh, offer services to 
do people involving these things. So I've been trying to bridge the gap so that the appropriate business models can get coupled to the appropriate technologists and uh, a nice, uh, healthy opportunity come of that. That's been what I've been doing since 386 BSD. I've worked for uh, companies such as Tandem. I helped get them merged into uh, Compaq. I've been working uh, on eight different startups in varying capacities of helping them write their plans, um, helping them understand what it is that they have of, of value to, to bring, uh, and uh, trying to get uh, the appropriate investment in them in a balanced way so that everybody is happy in the end. And it's, that's been quite a challenge in the past uh, several years as we've seen the ups with the dot-coms uh, and the downs with the bubble burst. Uh, so it's, it's been quite a, uh, a whirl. And ironically, uh, while most don't usually like to see a businessman in, involved with, with uh, um, the, uh, the technology, I've gotten my hands dirty on a number of occasions as they would uh, tend to view it, just made things work. And that's primarily what I've been doing is making things work. And is a fair number of the projects you're working on uh, in, still involving BSD or open source projects? Oh, well, absolutely. Um, open source was certainly a boom for us because remember how it was prior to a lot of open source. There was uh, compilers were extremely expensive. Operating systems were extremely narrow and couldn't be configured. Um, uh, packages were were very difficult to obtain. You had to have tremendous amounts of financing. I got to realize when I started a semiconductor company in the in the uh, mid '90s, uh, already there was um, a clear change that was going on in the industry, and there were alternative CAD packages for for circuit design and analysis. That uh, so your your cost of tools had gone from easily a million um, down to a hundred thousand for a small team of engineers. That is a significant thing because that means you can put that money back into the people who are doing the design and creating the product. And the whole key to this is the people. It's it's the tools. The tools have to be there. And and even at that point, we were we were on NT systems still because that was still supported by major major packages. I was already talking to people about putting them on BSD and uh, going open source, and we knew this trend was happening. In our media efforts, in our data center efforts, um, we're entirely BSD, and we use lots of, of wonderful open source packages that have been developed by people. We love groups like Apache, like Zope. Uh, we use that very extensively. Python as a language has is... Um, pretty much the language that we've adopted here in our environment at this time. And uh, we're, we're just, given the amount of, of revenue we're taking out of, of open source projects and we're able to convert into things that people can use, uh, it's a tremendous business opportunity. I think that people still can't get a handle around it because they see it as run by technologists, but that's where William takes the, um, takes the lead in terms of the investment trends. I have to convince them that they're not giving up secrets as much as being able to move quickly, being able to walk in 10-league boots, step 
uh, in these enormous uh, uh, footprints. And, and so it's, it's interesting. It's, it's more of a problem in communicating than it is in uh, being able to establish uh, uh, those realities. And, and so I think that in, in large part, uh, being able to get a, a business to be able to use uh, uh, open source and BSD. In fact, what's really ironic is they start in some cases working with uh, Linux systems because of the popularity factor, and then they find uh, that they run into uh, blocks that can't be handled with popularity. It has to be dealt with in terms of architecture. And BSD snaps right into place, and going back and forth between them uh, happens pretty commonly. The point of the matter is there are many solutions for many particular problems. And instead of focusing on a, a, a one winner, one monopolist, it's more appropriate to look at the particular system for use and how it benefits people. I mean, my kids see that in terms of they talk to me about Linux advantages they find. That's their jobs to find the best of breeds, so to speak, and and um, encourage various areas. Um, perhaps I could ask you to gaze into your crystal ball and maybe take a look into the future of open source and BSD, where it might be going, and what challenges it might have. I can speak a little to some of the technical um, areas that I'm seeing that are very, very exciting. Um, certainly virtualization um, is becoming very, very critical. And viewing the operating system from the bottom layers of abstraction all the way up through applications and how it's used on the Internet is really a key thing. Uh, many people feel um, held back by the um, original um, client-server kind of environments or before that the, the, the monolithic kernel environment. We're not going to be seeing that as much in the future. It's going to become much more distributed but it's not in the sense of distributed computing of two decades ago when you read the books. So virtualization is really a key thing. Internationalization is very, very important. And one of the areas I think people are neglecting, I know people like Bill Joy are actually speaking to it, but indirectly, and he's correct, is um, looking at power issues and power consumption. And as long as we have high-power um, processors and high-power consumption or poor inefficiencies of use, this is going to become a, a key issue not just for cost purposes in companies, but also actually I think it's going to be an environmental issue in terms of the third world and how the best they can use computing to benefit our society. And I do see in young people there's an interest in exploring this. This is why we're looking at, at um, economic architectures and non-von Neumann machines. But we also have to see um, modularization of um, systems from the processor up through the kernel all the way through the applications in order to make this more beneficial for the, the world. We're in a global environment, and this is technically where we have to go. From my perspective, I have a slightly different perspective. One of the things I felt very unfortunate about with uh, all of uh, the open source kernels, but especially the BSD ones, was too much time focused on the low-level bones of the system, so to speak. Um, we should make that just um, hard, finished, done, um, and, and then we'll move on to the upper layers of the system. Really, what BSD needs to do badly, and I've been stressing this, sometimes I've had to 
use a, a sort of a sledgehammer approach in getting this across to people. A more subtle one was uh, my CNET article, uh, which you can uh, find. Uh, it's uh, on misplaced software priorities. That was last year. Yeah. The, the point is that the higher levels of the system is where um, people are using the system. That's where they perceive the system. That's where the value lies in the system. The reason why um, BSD is, could be doing better right now is, and all of them, uh, OpenBSD, FreeBSD in particular, but NetBSD as well, and let's not forget uh, that NetBSD is, is there. Um, I remember its creation most vividly. Uh, <laughs> the uh, the uh, point I'm trying to make, though, is that you see Ubuntu, for example, and that's been very strong for Linux because it has this nice appearance to people. They feel uh, uh, sympathetically drawn to it at, at the higher la layers uh, of abstraction, the way in which people work. And that's an area that, um, in focusing too much on the bottom level bounds of the system, one uh, loses track of. If uh, greater f attention was paid in these areas uh, and the creativity of, of this group will focus some of its braininess on that area, I think that they might find uh, uh, that uh, a greater future um, opens up. And that's where I think the, the threshold really lies. And I think that the investment um, in these areas is, uh, that's primarily what I'm trying to get everybody uh, to investigate. Because I don't think making interrupts faster, uh, interrupt paneling faster, or uh, trying to uh, have clustering interfaces in the, in the system are going to matter very much. I was at Tandem, and we had 256 uh, processors uh, burning away quite nicely. Uh, and clustering is always going to be a very special purpose, for example. It's, again, a bones thing. Uh, the um, problem um, is understanding how people perceive computers uh, and getting them to be able to use more computing resources uh, uh, in a transparent manner as much as possible. Virtualization, as Lynn said, is one of the avenues here, but you need to have scalable virtualization. Uh, but in a way that people aren't aware of it from the metaphors on the screen. I think we've taken the desktop as far as it's going to go. We need to have something a little bit more powerful. And I think that the Linux side will tend to focus more on a consumer uh, side, especially as Microsoft uh, encounters uh, open source in almost all of its global markets. Uh, and they are, and they're, they're not uh, pleased about that, believe me. Uh, but um, the, the way in which uh, BSD uh, strengths uh, can really take over as well, and I know it can, uh, is to be able to come up with even more powerful things that will then go da move down into con consumer space. Too long has been spent um, on the uh, innermost portions of the kernel. And do you think there's enough funding out there in uh, the post-bubble world for BSD companies to... Uh move this work forward? Actually, you, you, you've hit on, on my favorite area right now, and that is investment in this area is coming back in a big way. But it's a very interesting kind of investment. 
It's investment that uh, is focused on how to do something that no one else can is doing. Okay. We've been uh, focused on uh, cash and carry things for so long, uh, the area has been dried up. If one tries to focus uh, a project right now on something that's already done by somebody else, uh, a businessman goes, so what do I get if I go and, and, and take over this particular area? I don't see any growth in it. Everything is now hinged on where do you find something new that can displace other things in a big way. You can't just do uh, push BSD to try and displace Linux. Linux can try to displace, say, Windows, but there's only a, so far that that goes, and nobody really believes that uh, such a thing can go on. So yes, there is the, the investment dollars, but trying to get them, on the other hand, um, it's the approach. You can't do just anything and hope it works. You have to know, um, I, you know, that the doing this this one thing in an area suddenly obviates all these others. The best way I think to look at BSD's opportunities here is view open source as uh, a um, a market disruption, just like the internet has done disruption across. Uh, uh, our economic sphere. What happens is that uh, the development model across the network is uh, a disruption towards traditional um, uh, software models. And businessmen are acutely aware of, of what you can do with market disruption. That's where they spend other, a lot of their time. But they are also aware that poorly arranged uh, ideas won't take advantage of that, won't allow you to um, take over um, idle market segments and replace it with something that's much more vibrant. So again, our thinking has to be on a, um, a higher plane, so to speak, a higher level of abstraction. And then it's difficult to figure out how to talk to people in a concrete way. So again, it gets back to what I was saying. The money's there. But you have to know how uh, to jump through those hoops and and connect um, the dots so that somebody knows this is actually going to be a good place to invest. Oh, listen to him because he he's Mr. Money Guy. He's the one who goes out and does those meetings on Sound Hill Road and goes to those business conferences and things like that. And I have ideas, and, and he gets a million dollars for them. So I've actually seen him get a million dollars on a handshake. So listen to this man. He's, he knows where the money is. <laughs> All right. Well, is there any other topics you'd like to cover today? We really appreciate everybody who's been uh, involved with BSD in all capacities. I still get fan mail. Um, I get I get emails from people, or or actually they can go to win.telemuse.net and they can submit something. I hear from people quite frequently, and it's it's really fun, um, especially when I do an article and, and bite or or um, chronicle, and uh, it's uh, I hear back from a lot of people. Oh, I love 386 BSD. So I think I've been seeing a lot of activity on reading the series. We will be continuing and bringing in more material and introducing monthly articles on that. We will be celebrating the uh, 386BSD 
other birthdays as they, they come along and providing information. And we'll also be providing, by the way, media information in the way of interviews and such. Those will be launched in the summer. So we're going to be providing more than you ever got before. This is kind of a fun thing. And the whole point is it's accurate, it's genuine, and it's fun. And we'd like people to uh, become more involved. We have a, a way for 3D6 BSD users uh, to uh, sign up uh, on that uh, same page so that we can follow up with them and find out their stories and add their um, perspective in as, as uh, appropriately as possible. It's a little bit difficult for us at times. Um, we get overwhelmed, as has happened in the past, but we're trying to uh, work everybody in. All right. Well, I want to thank you very much for taking the time to speak with me today. Our pleasure. Definitely. Thank you for having us on your program. Thank you. All right. Great. Thank you. If you'd like to leave comments on the website, just go to bsdtalk.blogspot.com and if you'd like to send me an email you can reach me at bitgeist at yahoo.com that's b-i-t-g-e-i-s-t at yahoo.com once again I want to thank everyone who sent comments and emails and also thank the OpenBSD developers for the use of their song for the opening music thank you for listening